Oh, it's a big 100th episode, and everybody's been asking, guys, what are you going to do? Mitch and Troy keep nagging me. They're like, come on, Scott, what are we going to do? We got to do something special for the 100th episode. <laughs> That's a pretty good impersonation to me right there. Yeah. I don't know uh, about nagging. <laughs> and we, we have something special today. So this is Who Cares About Men's Health, providing information, inspiration, and a different interpretation of men and men's health. He brings the MD to the podcast, Dr. Troy Madsen. Scott, I can't believe it's a hundred and I can't believe we've, you know, we're actually still talking to each other after a hundred episodes. <laughs> uh, the BS, that is my job. I bring the BS to the show. My name is Scott Singpill. Uh, Mitch, he brings the mics. Welcome to the show, Mitch. I, br- I bring the mics a hundred episodes and I finally get a little intro. I love it. Yep. I love and, it. <laughs> and our guest today is Dr. John Pohl. He's a gastroenterologist. Welcome to Who Cares About Men's Health. It's great to be here. All right. So before we get to the main show. Uh, I have a question for you, Dr. Paul. And can I call you John? Please, please do. All right. I have a question for you, John. How do you know if somebody runs marathons? Uh, they talk about it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say there is yeah. no way of not knowing because everyone has a way of slipping it into a conversation in yeah. some way or another. Like the weather's great out today. You know, this is the exact weather I had when I ran the San Francisco Marathon. I felt just like this. Yep, they'll you tell know? you. All right, they'll, they'll don't tell worry you. about that. Yeah, they'll tell you. Um, one of the things we're going to celebrate on our 100th episode is the fact that Troy had a personal uh, best time in his most recent marathon and i just find this amazing he broke the three hour mark congratulations thank you thanks scott thanks uh yeah no it was it was a great race i loved it it was it was a cool experience i did not go into it expecting to do that but i figured it was kind of a fast course it was a downhill course and i didn't really think i was going to do it till i had a mile left and then i thought wow i'm going to do this and coming around that corner uh, it was a cool feeling like, wow, I broke three hours. It's kind of one of those things you think about as a marathoner. And, you know, I was thinking about Boston. I had the chance to do that. And then to do this, it was, yeah, it was a cool experience. So you beat your previous personal best by like 10 minutes. Yeah. 10 minutes. Yep. That's also just insane. Wow. So congratulations. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. How many miles an hour are you running on average to do that? John, <laughs> do you have any idea how fast you have to go to break three hours in a marathon, 24, 24 miles, 26 miles, 26 miles. You're going like four and a half, four and a half miles per hour, right? Yeah. You're doing four, four and a half miles an hour. Well, it's a six forty eight mile. I know that. I, I don't know exactly the miles oh, per hour, okay. but it's a, yeah. So it'd be a little more than four and a half. So it would be, yeah, it'd be more like, um, yeah, it probably eight and, uh, for 26 eight, eight miles. Yeah, because you figure it's just man. under three, so eight oh, times three right. is 24. Miles. Yeah, it's 26. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it'd be like eight. eight. That's eight and a half. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so maybe eight okay. and a half or so, a little over eight and a half. But, hey, Mitch, uh, yeah. when's the last time you ran eight and a half miles an hour ever? I, never. <laughs> For never any period of time. Life, no, zero. Zero out time. Uh, zero, zero time. All right. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's get to the show. Um, for our 100th episode, guys, I've kept a little bit of a secret. You You wanted something big. You wanted something special. And I thought for a long, long time about like, what is the most appropriate way for us to celebrate our 100th episode of this podcast? Who cares about about men's health? And having Dr. Pohl on, who's a gastroenterologist, talk about poop. (laughs) (laughs) For real. (laughs) The 100th episode of Who Cares About Men's Health. We are giving you the poop on poop. That's right. That's right. That's what we do. 
Do you think that's appropriate, Troy? Mitch, Mitch does not think it's appropriate. He's Mitch very disappointed. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know why. It's of all the health things to talk about, of all the true crime things that I read and listen to and whatever, there's something about poop that I just can't, can't get over. So I'm excited. 100 <laughs> episodes. Let's do this. Let's do all it. right. The first thing I want to know is, like, can our poop tell us something about our health? And what, what would we be looking at? Like, to me, I think it would come down to three things, like, right, like how it looks. Well, two things, how it looks and how it smells. Are, is, are there other considerations? <laughs> maybe, the, maybe how firm it is, how the consistency. All right. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, yeah, I think that things you would think about would be how hard or soft it is, how frequent you're having it. Um, and then, of course, you're asking about smell. And that can be a little difficult because when people tell me their poop really stinks, I'm sometimes stuck because I kind of go back to the baseline belief that all poop stinks. So okay. maybe I'm missing something. <laughs> but there are some situations where it, it does stink. No, but seriously, the, the yeah, I mean, you're exactly right. I mean, your uh, fecal matter is loaded with just billions of bacteria, and there is a huge correlation between that and health. A lot of it we've only realized probably in the past 20 years there's such a correlation and not just with, uh, um, intestinal health, but overall body health, which is really fascinating. I will tell you, John, as you're talking about this, I've had more than once, number one, people come in and show me pictures of their poop. Uh, <laughs> I, I promise you, I've outdone you. This one's even better. I had a patient come to the ER who came on a bus and had multiple mason jars filled with his poop uh, samples suspended no. in water, was carrying this in a bag. Like I can just imagine this thing rattling around on the bus and then had them all displayed in the room for me to look at because no. there was something to it and I had to see it. So I don't know if you've out, outdone that one, though. You probably have. Yeah. I mean, I've had people bring in several pounds worth of diapers, but yeah. <laughs> Wow. Well, I mean, you know, if you think there's an issue, I mean, what else do you do? Doctors got to see it. Got to see it firsthand. (laughs) I usually tell people just describe it. I think that's adequate. But, you know, some people are going to take it to the next level. Yeah. Is that true, Dr. Pohl? I mean, if if I went to a gastroenterologist because I thought I had. You don't need to bring me your poop, Scott. Okay. (laughs) Just describing it would be enough. (laughs) Yes, that's fine. I really. Yes. Yes. All right. All right. So um, our poop can tell us something about our health. Um, let's talk about like what it looks like first. Cause I've heard a lot of times, if you take a look in the bowl, that could tell you generally how you're doing. So you want me to tell you what poop looks like? (laughs) (laughs) I want to know if, cause uh, we can uh, start really basic here. Yeah. (laughs) You may need to help me here. sounds like Scott's having an issue. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's hear, let's hear what's going on. All right. Mitch and Troy, I'm going to send you an email. Okay. I, I know what you're going to send me, by the way. But I oh, what what am I going to send you? <laughs> it's going to be the I, and I'm blanking on the name of the scale, but it's the yes. scale that shows the various types uh, of consistency of poop. Yes, yeah. And what's that scale called, Doctor Pohl? It's the Bristol stool chart. Yeah, That's right, Bristol. And, yeah. and and it's from England, right? Yes. And as a friend of mine once said, what was going on in Bristol to make them come up with this chart? So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in actuality, I mean, this is. There's the funny side of this, the serious side of this. The the, the serious side is it, um, it's very helpful of telling if someone's having uh, diarrhea. So it's one through seven, and it's been kind of used clinically to. I mean, it has things like constipation and stuff, but to really help people determine if someone really is having diarrhea, that's what it's been clinically modified for. So I think it does a pretty good job. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. 
Yeah, so number but one is just... severe constipation, which looks like um, deer droppings. Mm-hmm. And then two is mild constipation described as lumpy and sausage-like. Kind of like Oktoberfest. <laughs> number three is normal. So there's two types of normals. I guess I didn't know this. A sausage shape with cracks in the surface, that's normal. Mm-hmm. And so is a smooth, sauce, uh, soft sausage or snake. Mm-hmm. It's like M&M's um, or peanut M&M's. <laughs> number five is lacking fiber. That's soft blobs with clear-cut edges. Mm-hmm. So unlike the deer poop, it um, mm-hmm. how, how does that differ, actually? Uh, I don't understand what they mean by clear-cut <laughs> edges. Well, that's the one thing that I always find somewhat humorous about the stool chart. It has a very, uh, to my opinion, English description of the poop, and I'm not exactly <laughs> sure. <laughs> I would assume that soft blobs is all you need to do, but obviously soft blobs with clear-cut edges, I'm not exactly sure what that means. All right. And then mild diarrhea is mushy consistency with ragged edges, and again, then severe diarrhea is liquid, no solid pieces at right, all. So. Right. And yeah, again, so- I don't know what ragged edges, I mean, that's terrifying. But yes, <laughs> we do use that, yeah. So it sounds like, though, you don't want the ragged edges, the fluffy pieces, and you don't want the watery. And you right. don't want the right. severe hard lumps right. or the sausage shape, but lumpy. Kind of that middle ground is where you want to be. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So if you're wanting to have a normal bowel movement, just from a simple medical perspective, you really want a three or a four. So, you know, my rule is you should be pooping once a day. And if you're having too much constipation, we can talk about that in terms of safe laxative therapy. And if uh, you're having diarrhea, make sure it's not an infection or something more serious. And then in the adult world, obviously you want to pay attention if you aren't having issues with uh, colon cancer, uh, which, you know, you can see with persistent rectal bleeding. Uh, Sometimes it can be a very pencil and small shaped stool as you're trying to go through a cancer area. Sometimes if people are having a hard time and they're pooping type ones, often it's constipation, but if it's soft and it looks like little tiny hard lumps, you should worry about uh, rectal cancer as an example. So we should take it. I mean, we joke about poop and as a gastroenterologist, it's probably my entire life is joking about it, but you do want to pay attention to what you're seeing. I guess like when we're talking about the consistency, is this like on a day to day? Is this like how consistent, how frequently did we, should we see things that like say jump between the chart? You should have a notepad and a calendar every day. (laughs) (laughs) And you always have your phone on you, so you can always take a picture. I'll take a bunch of pictures for you guys. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, I think, honestly, my my rule is a normal bowel movement is uh, a soft, uh, not diarrhea-type stool once or twice a day. You know, when people ask me how often, you should try to shoot for once a day. Some people really don't. but yeah, you want you want to do that. And then, you know, I mean, just kind of pay attention. The biggest issue that we would have in this country just because of dietary issues is problems with constipation, which may affect as many as one every eight Americans. And that's actually the biggest thing that we often see. Probably you see in the emergency room setting. Number one reason I see kids in my clinic. So these are things to keep in mind. And then did you know, I think a sloth, by the way, uh, poops every eight weeks. What? Wow. Every eight weeks. <laughs> wow. Mm-hmm. Imagine the kind of money you'd save on toilet paper. That would <laughs> yeah, be, seriously. That would be amazing. Yeah, it's actually the model that's animal model that's often used for constipation because they just poop so rarely. Wow. Wow. All right. So um, as far as shape goes uh, and consistency, I'm looking at this chart. It looks like it's either something's causing some constipation, which I'd want to eat more fiber at that point. I mean, is that what's causing that? Or are there illnesses that would cause that constipation? Yeah. Well, I mean, the vast majority of time it's, just constipation, which is an issue with both the movement of your colon from the top of your colon to your bottom, and just also how much water and fiber you have in your stool. 
So that's the most common reason. When you live in a dry climate, that's something you have to kind of pay attention to. So states like Utah, that's that's a problem. And of course, fiber does help quite a bit in that setting. Um, I, we are Americans. Americans are not the best about fiber and sometimes just uh, uh, working on things like taking a very safe over-the-counter uh, stool softener is very effective in most settings. And do you, do you recommend fiber supplements as well? Well, I think fiber supplements are never a problem. But uh, there are very, very safe uh, over-the-counter uh, stool softeners. I typically don't use stimulants. I try to use more like what they call stool softeners or osmotic uh, laxatives. Osmotic mean it just brings water in from your body into the colon to make it uh, to make it softer. Um, you know, things like milk and magnesia, Miralax. There's lots of different things that are out there. Very, very safe. Uh, and those tend to be extremely effective. So if I'm dealing with constipation, more water, perhaps more fiber in the diet, uh, I would imagine people that are on the Atkins diet probably experience constipation. People They that might do have a lot of, of problems. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Or and fast then, food. Like if you eat a lot of fast food, you're not getting a lot of fiber a lot of right. times. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Diet is a big part of it. And then and then also exercise really helps quite a, quite a bit as well. And I'm not talking, you know, you have to be a marathon runner. And, you know, Troy, as you probably know, um, People who are long distance runners can have some problems with, you know, diarrhea, which we can talk about. But I, I know, I know all too well. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, just getting <laughs> some, just getting some good walking exercise in, and I'm not talking about weightlifting. That doesn't really do it, but cardio really can help your uh, regulate your bowel movements. All right, and then on the other end of the scale, the other end normal, we've got the looser, you know, um, which is uh, soft blobs or mushy consistency or diarrhea. Are those generally? reasons to be concerned or are there dietary things that could impact that just, you know, temporarily? And if you stop eating those things, everything's mm-hmm. good again. Yeah. I mean, I, as a pediatric gastroenterologist, I worry quite a bit more about diarrhea because I want to make sure I'm not missing a malabsorption syndrome uh, or infection or something inflammatory like Crohn disease. Now, honestly, the most common things I see is what you would see in the setting of irritable bowel syndrome. So irritable bowel syndrome, let's say you get anxious about something and your stomach hurts, very common. Some people get constipation with their abdominal pain and irritable bowel syndrome. You call that constipation type, but some people get diarrhea type and they get anxious and their stomach hurts and they have some diarrhea. And you can offer, if you know there's nothing else going on, you can offer over-the-counter medicines that uh, decrease diarrhea, such as Imodium type products. But you do need to pay attention. So the times I get very worried if it's diarrhea associated with weight loss, diarrhea with blood in it, uh, especially what we call nocturnal stooling. If you have to get up in the middle of the night and poop and have diarrhea, uh, that's extremely concerning for something else going on. Food products can do it. Um, you know, if you, what I see quite a bit in children is if they drink a lot of juice or eat a lot of fruit, they get what's called uh, uh, nonspecific diarrhea of childhood, or it's also called toddler's diarrhea. And they basically just have too much carbs and they just have a very foul smelling uh, stool that actually is fairly acidic and cause a diaper rash. So um, that's really not something we see as much as adults, although you can see that sometimes with people who drink too much alcohol as an example. Okay. So I I was going to say sometimes after maybe having a a few more beers than I should, like the next day, I might notice Mm -hmm. things are a little softer than normal. That's that is being caused by the alcohol or sometimes if I eat like too much junk food, you know, oh, like, absolutely. Like the week leading up to Halloween when you got the junk food in the house because you're going to give it to the trick or treaters and then you end up eating mm-hmm. it all before Halloween. And have yeah. To go to the grocery yeah. Store or, or you know, the thing that I'll see kids like teenagers who eat a large amount of chips with a large, uh, simple carb load, they'll do the same thing. And then, of course, 
you know, are you familiar with the, the things called Takis? Are you familiar with Takis at all? Like taquitos? <laughs> no. I'm going to say Mr. Miller with got taquitos. I do know taquitos. So they're a type <laughs> of chip and they have a lot of spicy uh, stuff in them. Um, like they have one called Fuego, which I think is fire. One called Blue Heat. And besides getting all the carbohydrates, all the uh, chemical stuff in there uh, to make it burn, you can get the diarrhea and then you can get uh, – how should I put it? A secondary aftertaste, if you know what I mean. So like your, your, <laughs> your bottom hurts. coming out. Yeah. 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 So sometimes I'll have teenagers and they're, they get diarrhea and their bottoms hurting. And then, you know, they're eating like eight or 10 bags of Takis a day and like, oh, just stay God. away from Takis. So, <laughs> yeah. so these are things that. <laughs> yeah, sure. And you may see, you guys may see this in the emergency room as well, but this is something that I deal with. Yeah, no. And, and probably, like you said, you see a lot of constipation. I see a lot of people with constipation as well. And it's funny because people see, wow, what's the most common thing you see in the ER? Thinking it's like trauma or heart attacks, like, no, nah, it's abdominal pain. And a large number of patients with abdominal pain are just really constipated. Um, and speaking of constipation, you know, people listening may think, well, I'm not having a bowel movement every day, but maybe it's every third day or something. At what point do you get concerned about constipation? Like, at what point does it really become dangerous? Like, if someone comes in and says, you know, I haven't had a bowel movement in a week. Is that concerning? Well, that is concerning. I mean, yeah. yeah, yeah. So uh, divide, divide that up into the two different questions that Dr. Madsen asked, actually. Like, w what if it's every two or three days? Is that something that somebody should worry about? I mean, my rule, again, is I tell people you really should be having a bowel movement once a day, okay. a soft bowel movement once a day. If you're going every three days, I'm going to assume you probably have significant problems with constipation. It's probably general, just primary constipation, nothing else causing it. So at that point, you should consider being on a stool softener. Now, if you're on a stool softener and nothing is getting better, you should see your physician about that just to make sure there's nothing else going on. In the adult world, you'd worry about things like, you know, colon cancer as you get earlier, older and things like that. Yeah, but it sounds like if you're going like, you know, like you said, every every third day or so, not great, maybe not an issue, like a sign of something worse. But once you get beyond that, if someone's just having bowel movements once a week, then it sounds like that would. That needs to be checked concern out. A bit. Yeah, that's a that bigger needs deal. To be checked out. You know, honestly, I just feel like there's this epidem epidemic of constipation in our country. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's this thing we just <laughs> don't talk bad. about. The untalked about epidemic I see it so often. Like I said, the most common thing I see is abdominal pain. And quite often, the abdominal pain is caused by just chronic constipation. And people have been to multiple ERs. And But, you know, it's one of those things, if you really get in, how often are you having bowel movements? In some cases, they're telling me, yeah, it's just, it's not often. You know, I've had people tell me, I haven't had a bowel movement in two weeks. Like, that's, oh my God. That doesn't seem healthy, you know, so. <laughs> exactly. It's not healthy. Now, I do yeah. wonder, I do wonder sometimes when I hear that, it, it is, I sometimes I wonder if, if people really haven't had a bowel movement in two weeks, because that would just, would make me feel incredibly sick, or they may be having something and not realizing it. But exactly. I think you're right. It's a huge too. part of emergency room settings. It's a huge part of primary care settings. One thing that we have been worried about for a long time was unnecessary hospital admissions. And it was really interesting, again, basing somewhat on the uh, PDF that we made and the video that we made. We got together with the hospital service and the ER service, um, pediatric ER service, about when these kids come in, how to keep them 
uh, out of the hospital because we found that we were there was just unnecessary treatments going on where you can just simply give someone a prescription uh, for a lack uh, a safe laxative, talk to them about you know scheduled toilet sitting times when you should be worried about and. Uh, we looked at it as a quality improvement study, and we got it published in British Medical Journal. And it was actually really interesting, just doing some simple interventions. We kept these kiddos out of the hospital, um, which I think correlates very well with adults. Do sometimes do we actually really need to admit these patients? Do they? Can, there's some stuff we can do at home. That's great to hear. Do you ever just recommend just like straight up a, a just a you know essentially what would come down to like a, a bowel cleanse, like a colonoscopy prep, essentially mm-hmm. where they're just taking all sorts of Miralax in and just clean everything out? Mm-hmm. Yes. If they're, if they're definitely are very constipated, I recommend, and, and we actually use what we've done with this PDF that we've made um, is that it has a, a recipe based on age. Um, and so all of our GI doctors at Primary Children's, we all say the same thing. So you're not hearing different things from different doctors. And so if they're very backed up, like I'll recommend following that recipe uh, on that worksheet, like for one day a week, for two weeks or one time, and then start up on a daily regimen, such as, you know, I don't know, lactulose 15 milliliters a day or Miralax one capful a day. I usually write that down for the families. Yeah, um, we try to avoid enemas for a multitude of reasons. Um, one thing that we don't ever recommend are what I call milk and molasses enemas because they are associated with uh, death, both mm-hmm. in adults and children. So, um, and there's well, that's an unfortunate side effect of that's the treatment, right? So, if someone came in death. simply for constipation, you're doing milk and molasses, and people may be asking what that is, and basically, you take some milk and you take some molasses and you kind of warm it up till it gets into a solution. Let it cool, obviously, put it in an enema bag and squirt it up into the anus and the rectum. But the problem is, is you're doing nothing more than feeding the bacteria that are in there. Oh. And it produces a large amount of gas and it can lead to perforation and, and oh. death. So we are very anti-enema unless we absolutely need to do it. And when we do do it, we do normal saline. That's the only enemas we use. Do you ever do soap suds enemas or just nope. normal saline? Nope. Just normal saline and it works it's very well, know. very yeah. safe. Yeah. And you do it like you would do a, a, a IV bolus for someone. So in children, you know, 10 or 20 cc's per kilo, I use it like a bolus. So uh, for a child and it works very effectively. Yeah. We've talked about how uh, our poop appears could indicate if there's a health issue or when to be concerned or not. What about the smell? Now you had mentioned that, you know, all poop smells. Don't think your, your poop doesn't stink as the old saying goes, because it, it does. <laughs> Some is just stinkier than others. Like, for example, when I go in, <laughs> when I go into no, the bathroom at the uh, no. at the health library, sometimes no. I smell a smell that it's just <laughs> like I'm wondering here. what's wrong with these people. Is, is there something wrong with these people, or what's causing it when it gets that smelly? It's these are all med students, Scott. You're talking about all these students who have irritable bowel syndrome. I'm going to tell <laughs> you right eating now. Eating talkies like crazy. <laughs> like, eating, <laughs> eating horrible food, <laughs> free food that they get for showing up for some, you know, journal club or lecture. And then combine that with ir- – anyway, that's that's. Yeah, I mean, thought. the other place that you might smell really bad poop is like at the, in the gym bathroom. Like sometimes that is just terrible. So like what are, are – are there health concerns if your poop is smelling bad or is it more a result of just the kinds of things you're eating like Troy is saying? It's really concerning to me that you have been going to bathrooms and sniffing around. So <laughs> well, I mean, you can't help it. That's how bad it is. It's not like I'm going in there like a dog. and I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry you can't help it. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, no, I, I think no, just joke. Yeah, so um, you know, for example, people who are uh, lactose intolerant or, or have lactase deficiency because they can't break down uh, the sugar uh, in uh, milk, they will have very smell, foul smelling uh, uh, stool. Um, Food that has a lot of sulfur in it, um, like uh, Brussels sprouts, sometimes will do that. And then, again, just a, the biggest issue that I have seen uh, with people is eating a large amount of carbohydrates in their diet. That is just – it's just fermented very quickly. It's just very foul-smelling, typically diarrhea. Okay, hmm. so like your your junk food and that sort of thing. Or right, so, you know, it's like I always say, it. you know, eat less, exercise more. I mean, it's just yeah. if you're eating healthy, this should not be an issue. Okay. Uh, do protein powders, is that why I'm smelling things in the gym? Probably. Protein powders make yeah, it Yeah, from the amino. Yeah, from the amines. Yeah, mm-hmm. probably. Probably. Okay. All right. And then what alcohol is- too, right? Yeah, well... Right. And there's several issues there. I mean, you know, a lot of people probably do have experience with having too much alcohol and, and uh, then they can get um, uh, diarrhea afterwards. But of course, you have to be really careful of that because first of all, you don't want to drink too much alcohol because of the risk of alcoholism. But if you're doing excessive alcohol, especially in the setting of getting liver disease, uh, the alcohol will basically kill a lot of your good bacteria in your gut and cause the bad bacteria then to overgrow. And you can have a release of some of the toxins of those bad bacteria, mm. which will get into the bloodstream and affect your liver. So, you know, there's always the joke about drinking too much alcohol and having diarrhea, but, you know, there's a lot of issues in general with drinking too much alcohol. And if this occurs on a chronic basis, you're getting yourself sicker over time. Oh, and one more thing. So, uh, often, and, and you guys may have seen this, when someone comes in the ER and they say they're having like, Know, purple poop or blue poop, you know, ask them what they've eaten. And in kids, <laughs> Play-Doh or, you know, uh, icing on cake, uh, you can actually buy sparkles. That you, they're coming in little capsules and you can eat them. And so you can have sparkly poop if you want oh, that. That's oh, too cool. no. I think, yeah, that's too cool. <laughs> Why? Why would we do this? Ugh. Your reaction at first, Mitch, I thought you were excited about no. it. No. <laughs> I'm fascinated. I'm yeah. just so upset with this whole episode. <laughs> hundred episodes. This was not the hundredth you'd hoped for, no. huh? This is I'm not sorry, it. Mitch. This is not well, the capstone of excellence we wanted to achieve no, here. It's, it's perfect. It's perfect. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's what I love, though. But but you know, we're talking about poop. You've already cited a British Medical Journal article. This is mm. you know, this is not. This is not lowbrow stuff. We're talking about <laughs> high-level research here, so this is good. Well, thank you, uh, Dr. Paul, for giving us the poop on poop. It sounds like my takeaway, anyway, is uh, if, if it's not every day, if it's, you know, happening less than three or four days, uh, you know, every three or four days, that is a problem. It sounds like that if you have constipation, that there are some pretty decent over-the-counter solutions to help you with that, uh, in addition to eating more fiber and drinking more water. Uh, and then if it smells, check what you ate first. Is there anything else we need to know? No, I think that's it. I'm, I think, you know, just to remind listeners that constipation is extremely common. It's one of every eight Americans. And there are some very safe, non-addictive stool softeners that are over the counter that you can try and always talk to your provider about. Um, the other thing just to keep in mind is that certain types of difficulty pooping in adults can be associated with colon cancer. And as we get older, just need to pay attention to that. And then diarrhea, like I talked about, can be just dietary related or due to a recent infection. But if it's chronic, if you're losing weight, if you're getting up at night with diarrhea, if there's blood in it, 
you need to talk to your provider right away to make sure nothing else is going on. Dr. Pohl, thank you for being on the podcast and thank you for caring about men's health. I appreciate it.